The Cappuccino Podcast brought to you in association with Tactical Solutions. For all your tactical solutions, check them out at www.tactical.co.nz. It's that time again, so grab yourself a cup of joe and get ready for the Cappuccino with Constable Brian. So my guest today, uh, I'm going to say two esteemed experts in the field of comics. Why comics? Because of the following things. Action Comics in 2014, the very first number one action comics featuring Superman sold for $3.2 million. Originally it sold, its cover price was 10 cents. Amazing Fantasy number 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man from 1962 sold for $1.1 million in 2011. Detective Comics, the first appearance of Batman, sold for $1 million in 2010. But sadly, Marvel Comics number one, which went up for auction in 2001, sold for $350,000. Incredible Hulk's number one, which sold for $0.12 cents in 1962, sold at auction in 2014 for $320,000 only. So I've got Jeremy McHale from Arkham City Comics, New Zealand's premier back issue specialist based in Auckland, to discuss comics and a whole lot more plus how the hell does Mikhail find the time to be a semi-pro wrestler and illustrator and I'm going to pump you up here brother one of the world's best Tekken players too so welcome to the show gents uh first thing I'm first thing I'm going to do is we, we do a speed round uh, dedicated to what I think is the world's best police movie of all time which is speed because it's got Keanu Reeves in it Bill and Ted uh, so there's a pop quiz yeah, you bet, brother. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pop quiz. It, it is a pop quiz. Okay, so, Mikhail, the biggest influence on you as a kid was who or what? Uh, comics. Comics and pro wrestling. Um, those were the biggest influences on me as a kid. Yeah. Nice. Jeremy, what was the last book that you read? Print book, not graphic novel. Uh, print book. Wow, that is going back. Um. The autobiography of the musician Tricky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, cool. Nice. Uh, Mikhail, favourite action movie of all time is what? Favourite action movie? Mm-hmm. Or Big Trouble in Little China. Nice. Uh, Jeremy, last time you asked somebody for an autograph was when? Oh, well, that's even going further back. Probably about four years ago. And I can't even remember who it was now. There you go. Must have been no, somebody. I haven't asked anyone's autograph for a while. Must have been somebody important. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Mikhail, you can choose any superpower. What is it that you're taking? Whoa. Teleportation. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so I can travel easier. Nice. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, one thing that you own that you should throw out and your child is not an option. All right. I couldn't lift them if I tried. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I should throw out. Probably my current pair of sneakers. Need nice. to get a new pair. Nice. That's all good. Mikhail, first comic or character that you ever bought as a kid? Oh, man. Because I just bought anything and everything as any, like any comics I could find my hands on. But characters I remember... But probably weren't the first 
with like Rom and Blue Devil. Um, nice. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I just pretty much picked up anything and everything, so it didn't really matter to me as long as it was comics. All right, uh, Jeremy, same question. First comic and the character that you brought. Uh, probably UK comics, so Wizards and Chips or Buster. Nice, there you go. Okay, and because we're not doing this in the patrol car because of that uh, nasty virus that's floating out around the world at the moment, if I was going to bring you in a coffee, what would be the coffee order for you two? So, Jeremy, go first. Mocha. Macau? Um, I don't drink coffee, so it'd probably be something like, uh, I know, iced chocolate, yeah. something, I know, milkshake. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be coffee, that's for sure. Nice. Okay. So, Jeremy, how long have you been involved in comics? Uh, as a retailer and a fan uh, and a collector, I'm guessing. How long have you been involved? Okay, chronological order. Fan, I'm now 46, so I'd say at least 38 years. As a collector, probably from about the age of 15. So that's 31 years ago. Yeah. And as a retailer, um, Kicking into my 20th year come the 1st of July this year. Nice. Okay. Macau, what about you? Because illustrator, retailer, collector, how does your... Uh... <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've been drawing since I can remember. Uh, I discovered comics when I was about three or four. Mm -hmm. So I've been reading comics for like 36 years. Uh, in terms of collecting, uh, that definitely was like, you know, in the 90s um around intermediate so 91 so about 30 years i've been kind of collecting uh don't really collect as much anymore but um and yeah and i've been working with jeremy since 2004 is that yeah, right yeah. Yeah, yeah so 2004 2005 yeah. Yeah, yeah 2004 2005 so yeah so going on to 17 <laughs> 17 18 years that explains yeah. so much about you too okay um <laughs> Mikhail, are you surprised that comics are as big as they are today i'm not surprised i'm just happy that they are you know it's something that i've always loved i've always wanted it to be as big as it is now and so seeing all the the wonderful like films and television and merchandise and action figures and all the stuff that I, I wanted to see more of. Like, it's just one of those things where I'm so glad that it's getting its time to shine. So I'm not yeah. surprised. I'm just happy. Yeah. yeah. Jay, are you, are you worried that eventually the general public's going to get superheroed out at the movies? And do you think it's only a matter of time before we start getting some C and D grade movies um, and the movie hype dies and then that's going to affect the industry, the comic book industry itself? Um, I think we've already had a few of those movies and unfortunately they've come via DC. Mm -hmm. But overall, I think everyone's just vibing on them. They're bringing out different characters all the time. So it's getting different people interested and getting them coming in looking for stuff. So yeah. I don't think they're, they've hit it just yet. They're getting close, but yeah. depends on how deep they dig. Yeah. I, 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 think think... The, I think the thing that Marvel have done really well is that they've introduced all these new and different characters, but also presented them in different genres. Mm. So even though they're superheroes per se, you still get to be able to enjoy the normal superhero th uh, movie. You get the, the heist movie. You get the fantasy movie. You get the sci-fi movie. All still wrapped up under the Marvel umbrella, but 
you know, you get to enjoy it in different genres rather than just here's a superhero, here's a superhero, here's a superhero. So, yeah, so I think kind of disguising it in that way is, is kind of like, you know, um, you know, spoonful of sugar type, have some medicine go down. So, yep. so yeah, so at the moment, I think Marvel have all these properties which allow you to enjoy superhero uh, films and content, but uh, wrapped up in different genres. So you can kind of, um, you know, disguise it in that way and, and enjoy it without thinking, oh, this is just another superhero film. Okay, now the question for you both, because I get asked this all the time as a comic book fan, are there parts of the the Marvel movie universe that you sit there and go on, go sort of to yourself, hang on, who's that character or where does that fit in the continuity timeline with the Marvel? Because I know that there's lots of people who try to catch up stuff. I know people who have sadly been to see Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, and that was the first Marvel movie that they've ever seen. And it's just been like, oh my God, how do I deal with that? So are there, are there moments where you guys as, as fans and collectors sit there and just go, what the hell's happening here? I've got no idea. Or have you got it all pretty much sorted? I'd say with the MCU currently, they've actually a little bit, they're truer to, truer to the comic characters nowadays. Mm -hmm. So they are recognizable. They're not mashing them together like they were doing with those early X-Men movies where you'd look at a character and go, wait, that's part of that guy. And that's part of that one. But it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, I mean, looking at the, the MCU at the moment, they're actually using the more um, comic-based characters coming through. So they are recognizable to comic readers and comic fans. There'll still be the, the occasional ones that you've got to do the research on. But, yeah, no, I think they're being a little bit smarter with it mm -hmm. and bringing in the real sort of characters more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, you know, Marvel have been pretty open with like creating content and, and film and television which is is easily digestible by the general public but still has plenty of easter eggs for diehard fans and, and comic fans yeah you know, i think one of one, i think one of the recent ones that which i really enjoyed and had a good laugh at was um jack duquesne and hawkeye um the hawkeye series just because uh, 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 because they changed the name to jack rather than jacques it, it took me a little while to really think, oh, wait, it's Swordsman. Um, <laughs> and it's just an interesting kind of way of, of presenting it. So they're not necessarily like like hard out, you know, true to comic form, but there's enough of, of, of the comic stuff um, that you kind of recognize who these characters are, or you kind of go, oh, that's an interesting take on it. And like for me, I'm one of those people who understands that with the comics and with movie and television, they're different mediums. So you need to change things. You can't necessarily take exactly what's in the comic and present it in movie and film, uh, you know, uh, format. So just understanding the, the characters from the comics and then seeing how the film and television uh, mediums kind of explore those characters and, and, and uh, present them is always really intriguing for me. It's always interesting to see. I like being surprised. I don't. Mm. I don't want to be like, ah, oh, this is going to be exactly like this, and I know exactly what's going to happen. You know, I, I do enjoy those little changes, which kind of mix it up and and yeah, give an element of surprise for hard out comic book fans. Now, obviously, as the movies get bigger and the industry gets bigger, the comic book sales are going to get bigger as well, which is great for you guys and great for me as a fan and everything else. Do you think? Um, it's getting to the stage though where it's kind of 
ruining it because some of those uh, I'm going to say collectible comics that 10, 15 years ago were easily within most collectors reach have now started to sort of price themselves out of the market. You hear some horror stories of people, for instance, buying first issues of comics at conventions for like $40,000 worth of cash because they just want to be the cool person with their friend and sort of say, I've got Daredevil number one or something else. So does it worry you that the bigger it gets, the bigger the the issues are going to be with the comics and the and the more sort of collectible comics or not? Um, a, a few of the high-end ones are starting to go that way where it's not really necessarily collectors spending that sort of money, but investors and speculators. Mm. We're now jumping on onto the pop culture um, train. I mean, comics and trading cards are the same sort of way. They're just high-end stuff, first appearances of characters. Um, people are picking those up as investment pieces now more than hey, I've picked it up to read it. But I mean, if you've got new collectors coming in who want to read it, there's so many um, reprints of the material nowadays that they're easily um, obtainable at a reasonable price still. Mm. Um, it's just the ones that came out originally in the, depending on where you go, in the 60s, um, 30s and 40s or 60s, um, those are now gone silly prices just they're reprinting them more often so you can still get them and read through and like most uh, I know I think Marvel and DC both have it where you can actually read the comics online mm. um, and if you do want to collect them they do usually have a, a reprint in one format or another coming out usually around the time a movie or a TV series is coming out just to continue the hype and keep it going yeah yeah I think Jeremy and I we've been around the comic book industry retail wise for you know a long time now and we've, we've seen the highs and the lows and the speculators and fair weather fans and all of that and funny enough it's a it's, it's a it's a it's a big misunderstanding where people think because of these movies these marvel dc superhero comic book related movies do a, a mad bank and the box office that translates to mad bank in the comic book industry which is not the case and the way I've realized that is because film, television, they're passive forms of entertainment. And so people enjoy having stuff kind of presented to them. But with comics, you have to actively go out there and you know find the stories, find the characters, and then you have to like open it and flick through it and read it. And so it's a more active form of entertainment, which is why a lot of people decide not to pursue comics because they're happy just having all of that content presented to them rather than having to go out people are lazy like that but um <laughs> but yeah so so yeah so like even though we do get blips of growth whenever a big film comes out it's not very much a, a lasting gimmick it's kind of short short bursts and then you know hopefully it's one of those things where hopefully in that short burst people become hooked um but more often than not people are just interested in what's hot at the moment in terms of what's the current book what's the mm. current um what's the current movie and is there a book that's related to it so mm. yeah because i think one of the biggest misunderstandings with comics uh, particularly collectible comics is you can have a comic that's worth fifty thousand uh, dollars but that doesn't mean that you're actually going to be able to find a buyer for fifty thousand dollars is that correct or not because i mean i know that you guys have problems with people coming into the mm. store quite a bit and sort of saying well come on it's worth a thousand dollars but it's like i've said to jeremy a number of times 
it's kind of a little bit like porn stars. You guys still have to make a margin on the resale. So do you find that often or not? Um, it, it really depends on what the book is. If it's one that's always holding its value, like first appearances of characters, um, example at the moment, first appearance of Venom, um, an amazing Spider-Man 300, that's one that continuously seems to keep its value and go up. Mm -hmm. When we look to buy them or get them traded in, I'm usually quite upfront with people and saying, look, yes, it might be selling for this overseas. In this market, though, it might not reach that high. And if you want me to buy it, I have to make a margin. So I have to buy it for not anywhere near that, but yeah. a little bit, a lot less. But if you want that $1,000, you're more than welcome to try and sell it yourself on Trade Me or Facebook or go through there. Quite often people go, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And then three weeks later, oh, that's a lot of hard work. Mm. will you still buy it off me at this price and usually we do um but i mean it's like people who have picked the comics up really well off the shelf when they first come out they're the ones that seem to suddenly go oh i've got that comic is it really worth that much yeah and to me they're like the the reader fans the ones who actually enjoy the comics for the comic not for the monetary side of it that could come later um I mean, if, if comics end up being worth a, a good chunk of change when you go to sell them or trade them in, bonus. But like a lot of my customers at the moment are now bringing stuff in because they've had they've enjoyed it themselves enough that they're just trading it on to yeah. let someone else enjoy it so they can pick up something new that they're enjoying. And it seems to rotate that way. The speculators, they're the ones that always seem to get burnt because they never... They keep holding on to the last, 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 last minute, mm -hmm. and then they miss it. And then suddenly, like, the market's dropped out. There's no interest anymore. No one's talking about whatever movie or TV series it was in. And then it progressively goes back down to what it was selling for a year before they announced the TV series or movie series. So it's always interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Comics are a, a, a long game. You know, so we'll get people coming in going, if I buy this, will this be worth something in, in the future? And it's like, you can never tell. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it usually takes 15 years. I was, I was going to say 10, but I was like, nah, it's usually 15 years is when you kind of get an idea of whether something's going to be worth something. And there's no guarantee of that. And so, yeah, so usually in terms of people looking for, you know, many, many issues, it's usually first appearances of characters that have been announced that are going to have their own movie or they're going to appear in the next movie or next, um, you know, TV series and stuff. But in terms of, like, comics now, like, you're buying it now, you won't know if it's worth anything until, you know, 10, 15 years in the future. Mm -hmm. And not many comics now are really worth something without the movie, TV deal and whatnot. I think the one that I, I could think of off the top of my head that like exploded and is still just a comic is saga like that's mm -hmm. anyone that's has stayed a comic and i think there has been rumors of production but like even before that it just it just exploded like all over the place and you know was worth is worth quite a lot with the first issue and stuff so you know it's it's not often that you get comics rising in monetary value because they're just comics a mm. lot of times yeah. it's tied in yeah. to movie announcements and tv announcements and stuff it's very much speculative um behavior so so just so that people can get some idea 
if I had got you guys to name the most five popular superheroes that you see their titles being sold in your store, what would you say they were? Jeremy, you go first. Um, Spider-Man's, both Peter Parker and Miles currently. Mm-hmm. A lot more people are picking up the Miles ones because that's the Spider-Man they're connecting to nowadays. Mm-hmm. And Peter Parker, it, that Spider-Man has always seemed to be the one that kids connect to the most. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'd say Spider-Man's, both mm. of those guys. Yeah. Mikhail, what do you what do you reckon? Yeah, like you know, Spider Man is always is always going to be at the you know one of the top ones, especially with like the movies, you know, live action and animated doing so well and being so goddamn great. Yeah. Um, and you know, like Batman, you know, Batman's always going to be up there. People love Batman. Superman's still still there, but he's not necessarily mm. like you know um, thing. Yeah, those, those are usually the three. The three kind of characters that people are always kind of looking for stuff. I guess Deadpool would be up in there as well. Yeah. Um, you know, with the Deadpool films and people, are like, oh, is there no Deadpool and kids are wanting Deadpool. Um, yeah, th- those would be the top four that I can kind of think of. Um, and then like five, it's usually kind of like Venom seems to have come in to the equation and like you know, growing heavily in popular um, popularity. So I think Venom kind of has edged out the whole has become the new Wolverine um mm. in terms of like you know the the, the it character mm. that people want more of so yeah so those would be the five that i could think of what's what's the one movie that they've made from a comic and the two of you have sat there and gone seriously that comic doesn't sell that well anyway this movie is either going to tank or it's going to be a real surprise Four. um i guess like because <laughs> I think for me, it was the first time I kind of felt that I, if you're talking about the big kind of movie mm-hmm. ones, I would think Guardians of the Galaxy was the one that was like that. Because I really, like, I really liked the original, the original team. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I love the 90s, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy stuff around Infinity War and that. Um, but then I also really loved the Annihilation Guardians of the Galaxy uh, book. And so when I heard that Guardians of the Galaxy was going to be turned into a movie and they're using the Annihilation team. I was like, ooh, not many people know that this is an amazing team, an amazing <laughs> book. Will this be an amazing like movie as well? And then it was like James Gunn. I was like, I love James Gunn's stuff and Slither mm-hmm. and Super and stuff. So like, I really enjoyed that and so, uh, his, his work. So I was like, oh, okay, that'll be, that's an interesting choice. And so I think for me, it was Guardians of the Galaxy was one of those, those properties where people didn't know about it, didn't know who these characters are, and going into it going, you know, with nothing in mind, a blank kind of slate, and then being presented something as amazing as the film was, I think was was the first kind of like, ooh, this is going to be uh, either sink or swim for, for Marvel, <laughs> and yeah, Marvel have proven time and again that uh, they're constantly swimming. <laughs> they're constantly yeah. swimming. So, yeah. Jay, what about you? What was your I'm, I might kind of go a little bit further back, I think everyone like was not expecting this to actually do anything, but um, Wesley Snipes' Blade. Oh yeah, there you go. Yep. Yeah, way back. And I mean, that one ended up doing so well it actually saved Marvel partially from bankruptcy at the time. Mm. And people are now saying it's part of the forerunner for the Marvel Marvel movies and things mm. like that. But I mean, Blade, even back then, was he was 
not a character a lot of people knew. Mm. I don't even think at the time, I think he might have had maybe a couple of miniseries, but he was always a supporting character. Yeah. And that came through, and I think it blew quite a few people away with with what they were doing. And it's it's still not one of the ones that, you know, you get a lot of people coming in going, hey, I want to read the latest Blade, because mm. there still isn't. Mm. But I mean, now that he's coming back into the current MCU, possibly, people are now going, oh, yeah, Blade, Blade. Hey, didn't they do some movies on those? Mm-hmm. Technically, they did three, but I think we only think of two. Yeah. 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 You could be right. And there's a young man in there called Ryan Reynolds as well. He'll probably go yeah. do some good things. Hey, if I got you guys to describe uh, the average comic book collector that comes into your store, just roughly, what would it what would it look like? Well, you know, contrary to popular belief, they do not look like the comic book guy from The Simpsons. Um, <laughs> yep. The they're usually male, but there has been like I, I've noticed there has been a change in the demographic of comic collectors, and a lot of them have have been female. Mm-hmm. Um, Particularly in our store, that's that's why I've noticed. I don't know about other stores, but in our store, yep. you know, um, you know, a lot of our customers are female, and um, you know, and it's yeah, it's really hard to kind of go. This is exactly what the average comic book reader looks like, but um, but yeah, but uh, it's yeah, it's, uh, there's definitely been a change in, in in the old like you know, I guess eighties and nineties would have been very heavily male dominated but you know it's starting to even out a little bit uh, mm. nowadays especially with the the plethora of um of um comic stories that are available now yeah. uh, just revolving around the the big two and superheroes mm. jay is it the same for you what yeah um i mean over the years we've seen like when when, we fir- when i first started into retailing it was more of a 70 30 split for male to female ratio of what collectors we were getting mm-hmm. when we started getting comfortable in ourselves as retailers and actually knowing what we're doing in the store i started noticing it became a 50 50 split um and even now we've we seem to have maintained a fairly even male to female ratio so there isn't the typical collector anymore mm-hmm. um it, I mean, yeah, like Mikhail said, back back in the day, in the seventies, eighties, even early nineties, it was male. It was mid twenties to early thirties sort of thing. But nowadays, it's you know we've got we've now currently got some seven or eight year olds coming in on the weekend raiding the bins, and then we've got the elder statesmen of the collecting community still coming through, picking up one or two um, new books, and then in the middle we've got a fairly decent mix now of male and females ranging from probably around 15, 16 up into mid forties and they're bringing their nephews and nieces in with them Um, or their younger cousins or, you know, the neighbor's kids who seem to have found their collection, they're bringing them in as well. So yeah, there's no typical comic collector anymore. It's whoever's, got some form of interest in anything comic related yeah they seem to be coming through and and happily digging our back issue bins so do you guys get many people come in who basically go hey i've just seen this movie and i want to start from uh a 
and go all the way to B, C, D, and E with this character. Um, and do you think that some people get a little bit disillusioned? I mean, like, for instance, um, you've got the Batman out at the moment. And I know that there'll be lots of people who go, hey, I want to start collecting Batman comics now. Like we said before, if you start off with Detective Comics, Batman's first appearance is going to cost you $1.1 million. So that's probably a little bit out of people's most most people's reach. But do you get those people coming in and saying, hey, can I start from this title? Or what's, this, what's, what's the best place to get started? Yes, we get lots. Yeah. Um, and usually with the movies, they don't follow one storyline or another, even with the characters. So yeah. the only movie that I believe that's ever come out that the publishing company actually jumped on at the right time to put out supporting material like the origins of the characters or the base stories of the characters that were in that movie was funnily enough Green Lantern. <laughs> the only yeah. movie series that DC actually put out and then put the supporting material out at the same time again, put yeah. all the good stories back in reprint and were available for when the movie came out. Unfortunately, the movie wasn't the world's greatest. And yeah. I think Ryan Reynolds kind of indicated that at the end of one of his Deadpool movies. Yeah. But that, that was the only movie that I, I, through the retailing history I've been doing, is that they actually had the supporting material out at the same time. All the others, they did stuff, oh, it's coming soon. And it comes out like three or four months after the movie. By that time, the hype's kind of gone. Or they're doing the comic based on the movie, which is based on the comic. Mm. And then they don't keep it in print long enough that people go, yes, we like the movie. Hey, we now want to read the comics. Yeah. Or they don't give a a too easy uh, introduction into comics for new readers coming through. So we're sort of at times scrambling, trying to figure out, okay, which are going to be the best books to have. And unfortunately with being a back issue store now, we kind of, it depends on what people have traded in or what we've managed to buy ahead of time. Yeah. We usually find something and either hook them or not, or we do recommend other places where they can go off and um, pick up a few of the books to keep reading. And yeah. funnily enough, um, public libraries are some of the best places nowadays. Yeah, because I think lots of people forget sometimes that you actually don't have to buy the individual comics. You can buy the trade paperbacks, which have yep. got the collective volume. So like you said before, Jeremy, it's a lot cheaper to do that. And Mikhail, do you think lots of people don't get started collecting because they can't get the first issue or the first title or whatever? Um, uh, uh, do you think it's just start at number 32 or start at number 33? to you does it make really make a difference yeah yeah it really depends and i think that's one of the um i guess the the things that hold people back from getting into the kind of collecting because a lot of these characters have been around for 80 60 years you know it's kind of like where do we start you know there's, it's quite intimidating to kind of jump in yeah. and figure out you know navigate where it goes which is why you always get the kind of reboots you know every few years or so just to kind of bring in new readers um so yeah so like trade paperbacks you know um are definitely a great way for people to kind of get to um experience storylines in, in its entirety in a in a an easy uh an easy volume which looks good on the bookshelf um and yeah and we have seen you know trade paperbacks have been more of a um you know, there's been growth in trade paperbacks and graphic novels because of, of that um, ease of 
of um, entry points for new readers. So yes, yeah, so I think you know that's one of the things. The whole the continuity thing can really be off-putting for people who are new to comics. Uh, but as I said, luckily there's trade paperbacks. Yeah, not wrong. So this is a question for you both. Do you guys worry about the digital age and um, comics? Because there's always floating rumors going around, you know, oh, Disney's going to stop producing Marvel comics and they're all going to go digital. That's part of the reason they've gone on to the internet now. And DC's doing the same thing as well. And you can see lots of people going, oh my God, they can't do that. I've been like collecting this character since I've been like 15. Um, do you guys worry about that? Or do you always think that it's always going to be a tactile thing where you, you go down to your local comic book store and, and buy a comic as opposed to a digital i mean i know it's a completely different market but there are still people who want that tactile object in their hand aren't they well i found over the years the new zealand market in particular and the new zealand collectors still want the physical book in their hand yeah because it's still their escapism it's still something that they can put down a computer or a phone and actually hold something um, the rumours of um, digital stuff taking over, that's always been around. I've actually embraced it and thought, mm. hey, this is a brilliant thing. You can read it digitally. Mm. And if you like it, you can come buy it. Mm. And a lot of people do that. Mm. Um, it's also their way of being able to read everything without having to chase down 20, 30 copies. And if they do like it, they can then go after the fact and say, hey, look, we'd like to buy them. Yep. The yeah, just the New Zealand collector store wants that physical book. Um, across everywhere else, from what I've been hearing, it 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 just depends on on the generation that's you're talking to at the time. Yeah. Some people believe print is going to die everywhere in every form. Yeah. Others believe no, it's going to be here forever. Well, I think we're just riding the wave until until something changes and we see what happens from there. Yeah. I mean, it it all it is doing is just improving comics and the comic community because it's getting people to read stuff in one format or another. I mean, in the 90s, when libraries started doing graphic novels, um, people were telling us, oh, it's going to kill off your comic sales. You're not going to do anything. I said, well, no, it's actually helped us because mm -hmm. people go and read it for free. And mm -hmm. if they like it, come and buy it from us. Also, it did help that the libraries were actually buying them from us at the beginning. Yeah. So we were making money no matter what. Yeah. But I mean, as people are always wanting it, and they, the comic collectors and comic readers like still like that initial hunt, looking for that issue, talking to other people about it, trying to find it. Where, if they're just reading it on their phone or on their laptop, it's not something you can get involved with too easily again without talking to people just online but it's in New Zealand they're still like that person-to-person -person chat okay here's a question for you Mikael does it annoy you when you guys go to comic conventions and everything else that creatives and illustrators the people that are actually responsible for the superheroes uh, or the the ideas the concepts um, can be at a comic convention and an actor who plays the part of that superhero will get a bigger line than they do. A perfect example, um, I had a friend of mine who was up in uh, Canada and he said nobody was at Donny Cates' booth. They're all like, who the hell's that guy? Um, but yet there were cues for people who were off um, uh, other superhero type television programs who'd only been sort of on the air for about six, eight weeks. Does that annoy you as an illustrator or a creator? 
Well, yeah, like you know, I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. Every time I go to San Diego, every time I go, to, you know, New York Comic Con and stuff, you know, the artist alley clears out once there's a big Hall H announcement. You know, everyone's everyone's clamoring to see the actors and and um, and and you know, and the big big movie and television announcements, while the creators of those characters and the stories that those those film and television are based off sit all on their own in either alley or at their at their table and that's one of the things i love about going over to conventions is going to artists alley and meeting creators and talking to them about their work and you know just just the creative process in general and and you know i guess because i'm here in aotearoa and not having too much um, I guess opportunity to indulge in that, you know, I I savor that every time I go over to the states and 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 enjoy every moment I get to pick with the brains of all these creators. And so yeah, so just seeing people who go gaga over the film and television while totally ignoring the creators of that source material, it does it does it is annoying. Yeah, but that's just that's just the nature of the beast, right? Again, the popularity, the surge in popularity of comic book related film and television people are happy to do the easy work which mm. is just sit there and enjoy it and there's more um i guess impetus on the actors and 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 directors of these rather than you know um the comic creators and it's it's the same with the movies too like what the comic creators they don't actually get paid usually like on the back end of these billion dollar films no. they just get like a thank you at the end of the uh, at the end of the credits you know and mm. so it's, it's it's yeah it's kind of ridiculous to see that um but you know that's that's just the way people are wired you know they yeah. they care more about the film and television than the comics and creators itself so um yeah it's annoying but yeah, yeah. there's not there's not too much outside of actually compensating the creators by the mega conglomerate corporations yeah um they could really change that so yeah no, no not wrong okay hey jeremy uh, this question is going to be for you okay graded comics do you want to explain yep. to us roughly how they work because um i'll give you well let's i'll give you an example um i can have a copy of that very first detective comics uh with batman's first appearance in it but if it's not graded then its value is going to be substantially lower and there's also that thing of the condition of the comic as well so can you explain to the layman's that are listening how graded comics work for us okay pretty much graded comics or slabbed comics uh comics that have been um usually sent away to america graded by a couple of graders and then they get the average grade and then it's encapsulated so it's still a comic it's just not a comic as we all understand it it becomes a piece of art or just like you look at through plastic and becomes a an investment piece more than the comic book that we will pick up and read um it's the sort of way like depending on who you talk to it's you're investing in the comic or people say you're preserving it mm -hmm. and looking after it and when it gets graded um it takes away the arguments and the interpretations of different grades so like someone's version of a 
a book that's very fine or a eight out of 10 is slightly different to what you might say an eight out of 10 looks like, or Mikhail says an eight out of 10 it looks like. <laughs> so this kind of takes away that argument a little, but it, it just gives an investment appearance of on a comic really. Yeah. Um, it's still a comic in there. Well, we're hoping it's in there, but it, it's pretty much just a comic put between two bits of plastic to preserve it and give it a, a credible grade. And it's the sort of one to, um, if people want to hold on to a book and look at it as well as have a reader's copy or have a very high grade, nice quality book, you can have it without being worried about um, it getting damaged or torn if you try and read it. It's like anything else. So the plastic will eventually deteriorate. Mm -hmm. We haven't quite got to that yet to see what sort of damage uh, the grading could do to a book. Yeah. But I mean, mo most people nowadays are looking at it as investment or preserving older books. You know, yep. paper from the 50s and 60s is starting to go quite brittle if it's not looked after properly. Yeah. And not everyone has a temperature, temperature controlled room in their house to preserve paper. So, yeah, not wrong. And I mean, I guess for, that's the beauty of comic book collecting as well. I mean, Mikhail might have the very first issue of Green Lantern, uh, mm. but because I'm a fan of something else, I go, well, that's really cool, but yeah, that's what floats your boat. It's not rock, what yeah. rocks my world. So yeah, I guess, okay, that's all good. Okay, so Mikhail, traditionally there's been a lot of criticism aimed at comics for the white, male, pale, and stale type superheroes that we've got, all right? Is that something that you see getting better? I mean, obviously Black Panther's played a huge part in that with uh the mcu movie and everything else um and we've had uh gay sons of superman we've had batwoman being a lesbian uh we've had spider gwen and all that type of stuff do you see it becoming more diversified than what it has been in the last sort of 20 to 40 years oh yes definitely there has been uh you know, an active you know kind of uh intent to uh have diversity amongst the superheroes, you know, because for the last 80 years or so, it's always been exclusively white yeah. male, yeah. Um, you know, kind of dominated. And so now in the last you know, 10, 15 years, we've seen a, a change in the, in the demographic, um, not only in the superheroes, but also in the readers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, and so that's great. And like, you know, Jeremy mentioned it earlier that a lot of people uh, uh resonating with miles morales because that's the spider-man they identify with mm -hmm. or they connect with better um and you know it also helps that you know into the spider-verse is probably the best superhero movie ever um and so like having something as amazing as that kind of highlight the diversity like you think about the spider-men spider-people and into the spider-verse you have spider-gwen a female spider person you have a dad bod spider-man you have a black kid spider-man you have a japanese um girl you know um spider you know, with her spider bot so mm. there there is there is an active um you know kind of campaign to create diversity because that's the world around us and mm. it's, it's great to see some of that you know and and obviously well along with these changes comes the you know the negative 
um, you know, privileged, mainly white males who complain about this because last year they had 37 white male protagonists and this year they only have 35. Yeah. So that's the end of the world as they see it. And it's kind yeah. of like, yeah, it's, um, yeah it's, it's an interesting time, but it's great to see that, especially with um, Kamala Khan, the Muslim yeah. Ms. Marvel, mm -hmm. uh, which was written by a Muslim writer and illustrated by a Muslim artist. So a, you know, a lot of times these diversity, uh, diverse changes in the demographic are actually written or illustrated by people that actually represent that change um and so yeah so yeah so that's one of the things it's, it's not just diversity for the sake of diversity there is actual kind of um i guess intent and, and um you know um legitimate intent uh, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily perfect because the latest controversy is the use of pocahontas and uh king conan um yeah. and it's kind of like you know with all the with all the positive steps they've made they still managed to make have missteps and so it's kind of like oh why did you have to use Pocahontas you didn't have to use Pocahontas and you know and so it's interesting seeing a lot of my Native American Indigenous American uh, First Nations people talking about why using Pocahontas in that way is problematic and, and mm -hmm. it's you know I love his work you know, Jason Aaron but like that's on Jason Aaron to in his stuff up there in terms of using that and not understanding the I guess the the issues surrounding that because Pocahontas was a 14 year old mm. you know Native American who mm -hmm. was essentially raped and you know by John Smith and stolen from her land and died while, as they were transporting her to England to show her off so like there's there's, <laughs> there's all this problematic stuff like including the Disney version of Pocahontas, but like using Pocahontas in this way as King Conan as this you know um, barely scantily clad you know woman who looks more like Deja Thoris than Pocahontas, <laughs> um, yeah, is, is problematic in, 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 unto itself because the historical character is very problematic in terms of her story, the true story of Pocahontas. So yeah, so. There's some amazing um, progressive strides being made in terms of diversity in comics and superheroes and characters, but there still are missteps. There's still a lot of things going wrong um, yeah. because people aren't uh, understanding the responsibility that they have in that kind of representation. Yeah. All right. So here's the question for you, because we all know that there are really talented uh, Pacifica and Tanata Whenua who are working in Hollywood. Uh, for Disney, for Marvel and everything else. So uh, this is a shot in the dark for you both. How many years is it going to be, do you think, before we see either a Pacifica superhero or a uh, Tanata Whenua superhero um, come out in the, in the wider world slash comic universe? That's a little bit sort of, how do I put this nicely, a little bit more um, layered than Moana was if you know what I mean and not that they're saying that there was anything wrong with Moana but uh, an actual sort of superhero what do you reckon yeah well we've we've had inklings of it with uh Thor Ragnarok take away to you in charge of that he's infused yeah. not only you know uh Māori but also indigenous Australian themes into Thor Ragnarok you have Rachel House 
you know, in there, you know, so you have a Maori woman. Um, you also had, uh, what's her name? Jessica. She, she, I don't know. She's, uh, she's Maori American. I think, um, she was, she showed up in Loki. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there, there are, you know, Maori and, and, you know, Pacifica, Tangata, Moana people showing up in the films, not necessarily as like big, no, um, yeah. big characters, but it'll be, I think it will happen if Taika, if they get Taika Waititi to write a comic, like if yeah. Marvel get him to write a comic, he would definitely make one. But until you get either Māori or Tangata Moana person creating, being part of the creating mm. creation of that character, it's not going to happen anytime soon. And unfortunately, there aren't many no. Māori and Tangata Moana people in that industry anyway, uh, yeah. speaking from experience. So yeah, yeah so the, the chances are fairly slim unless something in like Love and Thunder, Thor, like if yep. Taika Waititi puts in someone, someone that's Māori or Tanga Tamoana in there that's amazing and people just want to see more of it, mm-hmm. it won't happen. Yeah. Not anytime Jay, soon anyway. <laughs> Jay, what do you reckon? Rough stab in the dark. Um, well, the closest I can think of at the moment was Timura Morrison as Aquaman's dad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yep. I mean, yeah, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be a character that will blow up through the comics or something first before a character is coming through but i mean uh, um actors and actresses coming through i mean they'll they're there they just need to recognize them a little bit more and allow them through mm-hmm. um yeah could could be happening in the next decade yeah well yeah with, with boba fett you know they they actively included you know, Tim Weta Morrison's Māori heritage and cultural customs mm-hmm. and Indigenous people's stories into Boba Fett and onto, like, the Tuscan Raiders. Um, so, like, you know, that was one of those things where they changed this, not necessarily changed this character, but they worked the actors' ind- indigeneity into the character. But again, if you're going to create something new and, 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 and like, you know, like a Māori character, it has to be Either Taika White, like you know, the ones at the forefront, Taika Waititi, Timbuweta Morrison, mm-hmm. or even like Cliff Curtis, creating a character because they've got the the, the name recognition, mm-hmm. they can kind of sell this character to the wider kind of um, market, and that Marvel and DC will be like, okay, cool, we can take a chance of this because we know these people, and so yeah. So in terms of creating one, again, if it's not a big name. It's got to be a uh, Māori or Tangata Moana car- uh, comic creator, writer or artist. Mm. <laughs> There's not many of them no. in the professional scene or in the, uh, in, in the top two at all. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be a hard slog to see that. It will take one of the recognisable names to really get that off the ground. And push it all away. Okay, so Jeremy, three, yep. questions, three questions for you, and then um, Mikael, you're going to get the same. Best comic of the last 20 years, in your opinion, is what? The best comic uh, adaptation slash to movie is what? And your favourite superhero? There you go. Uh, For me, the one I've enjoyed the most was um, Jason Aaron's Mighty Thor with Jane Foster as Thor. 
I enjoyed his whole run of that, and it it just was refreshing and enjoyable to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, comic to movie, um, going slightly old school again and a bit indie, but James O'Barr's The Crow was oh, yeah, one of the ones yeah. that was actually quite close to the comic material, as close as co- movies can get to comic materials. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, favorite character, um, Daredevil, been that way for a while. Yeah. Mikael? Yeah. Uh, so, favorite comic in the last 20 years. I was like, oh, 20 years. I went, oh, this is only 2002. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, cool. That kind of narrows it down a bit. I would have to say Jeff Johns' Green Lantern run uh, from Rebirth all the way to Blackest Night. Um, mm-hmm. After Blackest Night, it was kind of like, this just went downhill. But so, uh, that's probably my favorite of the, of the kind of comic stories in the last 20 years. Uh, favorite uh, comic to movie adaptation would be Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Um, I'm just, I'm just always in awe of that film. Every time I watch that film, uh, I just kind of bubble with creative energy. There's just everything about it, from presentation, sound, animation style, voice acting, like just everything about it is just bubbling with creativity. And so. Um, and plus it's amazing like it's <laughs> um, so yeah so Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is my number one superhero like comic book superhero film and favourite character is Green Lantern uh, as you can see yeah um, okay. yeah Green Lantern um, just just always loved that character as a little kid and just, you know his powers are very artistic so yeah so you resonate with that just don't apologise for the movie um, alright so here's a question for you both again most famous illustrator or creative that you've met, I know Jeremy's, um, that you've had that you've had from the sort of comic world, and what was that experience like? Jeremy, you can go first because I know yours. Well, the most worldly known one would have been, yeah, some fellow by the name of Stan Lee. Um, didn't actually have much time with him because everyone was rushing past, so I didn't actually get time to hang with him and talk to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, yeah, did meet him, got stuff signed by him, got quickly pushed away for the other thousands of people going through. Mm-hmm. Hello. Uh, yeah. That is what it is. Macau. Well, yeah, well, Stan Lee, that was, that was definitely one of those things. Like, cool, that took off the bucket list, got to meet that dude. But, you know, I've met all kinds of, uh, you know, been very fortunate to have met all kinds of comic creators, um over the years through my travels uh stan sakai was one of them you know usagi yojimbo um yeah i'm trying to think man who's who was massive that i was just like i can't believe i met them um arthur adams i remember meeting him he was cool uh joe mad that was funny um yeah it's too many, you, can see, yeah. you can see a blur of conventions going yeah I'm just, I'm just i'm just trying to run through like oh, the conventions and the artist alley that i you know um <laughs> there's just there's just so many so many amazing opportunities and whatnot so i'm i'm, I'm glad i've had those experiences and in and the, in, in those chances to meet uh amazing amazing creators uh, over the years not wrong now the genres have changed in comic books uh basically when you look back at this sort of 50s and 60s you were having people basically a little bit like, but not quite like, um, the Batman television series, Power, Wham, Crash, Bang, that type of stuff. Um, over the last sort of, oh, I guess I'm going to say 30, maybe 
40 years we've had everything from mental health to alcoholism um, to split personalities um, alien uh, position by black suits that type of stuff what what do you guys think's been uh, Mika you've mentioned the Green Lantern but Jeremy what do you think's been the best storyline in sort of the recent era in comic books um no pressure no, no none <laughs> at all really um yeah. well it, it go back to the um for me it was that um the real enjoyable um mighty thor one where it pretty much odin's son pretty much lost his supposed worthiness yep and jane foster pick up picked up the mantle as the thor and we ran through um having a, a goddess of thunder and it was just a different viewpoint but it was just to me it was quite eye-opening compared to a lot of the other stories around it it was something different it was one of the ones that made a lot of the the old school fanboys cry out in pain and hurt because you know their big white blonde god god-like character had now turned into a girl of all things yeah but I mean, it, it was actually one of the better written stories for me for a while it was it was something i was genuinely excited to see the next issue mm -hmm. and the fact that they he had a plan like most of the really good stories if there's a decent plan and the writer and creator stay on it it usually works out really well mm. and to me this one did and then when he jumped off i just went right that's enough for me i'll find something else now to read mm. what do you guys think that so many people find comic book stores a scary place because I've spoken to some people and I've said to them, hey, you just want to you want to go down and start, you know, have a look at a few back issues. If you like the movie, chances are you're probably going to like the comics because they're almost same, same, but not quite. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's the um, encounter with an Uber fan that can tell you about every issue that's been printed since the 1960s? Or do you think it's the fact that some people actually aren't honest with themselves and they still view comic books as something that seven and eight-year-olds would be reading well and in reality we know that um yes seven and eight year olds do read comic books but they're not the main drivers behind the comic book industry because there's an awful lot of money in the comic book industry and as much as we all know seven and eight year olds they don't have that much pocket money well yeah i think it's the intimidation factor people new to comics are intimidated you know because the usually they're the only kind of uh, knowledge they have of comic book comic book stores are either through the simpsons with comic book guy or mm -hmm. through uh big bang theory yeah, so yeah people feel like they don't necessarily belong in the comic book store because what they feel is the comic book store is that uber nerd um gatekeeping kind of thing there's also the intimidation of the history and continuity of certain comic yeah. book characters yeah. right and so I think one thing we've tried to do with Arkham City Comics is try to create an well, open and welcome atmosphere for any level of fan. Mm. And, and I think we've done a pretty good job of that because we get people coming in going, hey, you know, I, 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 I want to get into comics. Where can I start? And then we'll be like, okay, what do you like? You know, mm. because comics are more than just superheroes. And people always yeah. think, you know, oh, I, I don't really want to read superheroes, but I want to get into comics. I think, well, good thing there's more than superheroes so yeah. that yeah. kind of uh hesitancy yeah. of people wanting to um get into the comic book store experience but 
Um, yeah, but for us, I think we've been able to create a welcoming atmosphere that we've made that comic book store experience enjoyable. And so we see a lot of people coming back and, and the first time is kind of coming back and so you have feeling welcomed. And so, yeah, I think it's just that, that whole, the negative perceptions of a comic book store uh, in the media in terms of comedies and stuff um, with the Uber nerd um, can put some people off entering mm -hmm. a comic book store. Mm -hmm. Joe, would you say the same? Um, yeah, I mean, we've worked on it for years for for our store and the various stores we've been in on how to, pretty much as soon as you walk in, you're a customer. It doesn't matter whether you're first timer or you're part of the furniture. Um, also, it doesn't matter if you're walking in with a dollar or two or you've got, you know, five grand to spend. You're, you're important to us. We want you to enjoy it as much as you can. And we'll try and share our enthusiasm without scaring you off. Because they have seen some customers start talking to newbies and they're just like, they're bombarding them with everything. And I usually actually try and say to our older customers, hey, hey, that's a newbie. Go yeah, gentle. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, it's just like trying to let them know that whether you're an interested fan because you've just seen the latest movie and you're kind of going, that character looked hot. I want to know about it. Mm -hmm. or whether you're coming in because you've done a school project on something or someone else has done something or you're studying something they start talking about comics or suddenly you've heard about a book that's been banned in American schools and you're suddenly going oh well I actually want to read that why are they banning it mm -hmm. and they find out it's a comic and yeah the the history the length of the history of some characters does put people off yeah um I do know in the early days in, in um, Auckland comic stores in particular, it was also sometimes the person behind the counter mm -hmm. would kind of scare you off. Like, yep. you don't know enough why you here. Have you come into the wrong store? We've picked up customers who said that they've gone into other stores around the place and not sure how to deal with them. And we're just talking to them normally. And I mean, we've got customers that, come from up and down the country just to our store because they want to talk to us hang hang out with us and then see what's in store and then talk to other customers um i mean I, there was a when i first started retailing i read a book describing the different types of comic stores through the, the community and you've either got the the one that's run by the uber fan or to the other extreme, you've got the one run by the retailer who wants to make money no matter what. Mm -hmm. And what they were discussing was the stores that are in the middle are the ones that seem to last longer because they're open to everyone. And we've tried to try to fashion what we do around that. And usually I, the term I like using is we've become the, the village green of the comic community. So mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who you are, you can come to it and talk. You can meet people you can discuss things but you're not going to get judged for it unless you're a rob liefeld fan and then well yeah hang on hey, yeah. yeah so that's all good we'll have right, a chat. So... <laughs> but um but i mean it's the sort of thing where we've over the years we've had kids who are like preschoolers dragging their cousins along to show them their comic store or we've had customers who have just come in into our store been around us for a while 
start bringing more people in because they want to show off where they feel safe and comfortable to talk about their um their interests that their friends might not understand yeah um and then they make it their place and it's like well that becomes part of us and our family and who we are and, and how we act so we start acting to encourage them through and then they bring more people and, and eventually they buy something as well it's quite fun yeah, yeah exactly so for those people that don't have somewhere like arkham a uh, piece of advice from the two of you let's say for instance i've just seen the latest spider-man movie and i've decided i want to start going to spider-man because we've got obviously the podcast as overseas listeners yeah. and a lot of those some of those will be stores that are the size of midtown comics which can be very intimidating you go in and like you say jeremy there could mm -hmm. be up to six or seven hundred titles there with spider-man on it and yeah. your in your opinion and that for, for you both where's the best place to start uh not collecting comics i'm i'm gonna say reading comics if you are interested in a character public library yep go check out your public library because everywhere's got them majority of them are free yep. and usually the staff there are, are welcoming to try and get people reading anyway and then once you get through the the public library have a look to see where a local comic store is yep. and just venture in don't be scared they're humans as well yeah um some of them are okay some of them are like everything else but i mean it it's a business it's somewhere you can go and just browse um and then maybe start looking at conventions or small markets yeah and just see if people have got stuff there and, and it's pretty much just talking to other other people yep. who are in there and you you find someone similar and then it just goes from there but yeah i'll, I'll start with public libraries well Mikhail, what about you? Yeah, I'd I'd have to talk talk of that. Um, using libraries, it's free, mm -hmm. and you get you get a fairly decent selection. Libraries, um, you know, the librarians that I know uh, have been always saying how uh, how popular the graphic novel section is, mm -hmm. and like they've seen a massive rise in readership in the graphic novel section, especially with uh, younger teenage school age younger adults um age breakers so yeah so definitely check out your local library because most libraries wherever you are will have at least a solid enough selection of comics and graphic novels for you to choose from and if you love those uh love what you're reading or you want to pick up some more then yeah definitely check out your local comic book store now with your local comic book store definitely need to make sure that the comic store that you go to makes you feel welcome um mm. you know not all comic book stores are great in that respect so hopefully you know if you do go on, on, on that route on that journey of finding a, a, a good local comic book store um hopefully you find a great one who makes you feel welcome and uh helps support your your needs um in the comic world and is able to uh, give you the best of of, of customer service all right, gents. So as always, it's always enlightening sitting down and talking to you two um, because we've come to the end of our podcast. Jeremy, where's the best place for me to go and find uh, a great comic book store called Arkham City Comics on social media, Facebook and everything else? Do you want to just um, give um, us those addresses? We're, we're on both Facebook and Instagram under Arkham City Comics. Um, and usually 
the response is quite quick because it's uh, attached to my phone. Yeah, yeah. So I'm usually answering it any time. Um, but I mean, yeah, we're we're happy to chat and and talk via there. Um, and if you want to find us in person, we're in um, eight eight five Manukau Road in Royal Oak. In Beautiful. Auckland. Nice. Mikael, because I know that you have bloody Samoan on art. Uh, do you want to give us the social media on that as well, my friend? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. My name is Mikael Manipola, but you don't need to spell that in order to find information about me. And the good and bad thing is there's a lot of information about me on the internet. All you have to do <laughs> is Google Bloody Samoan and you'll find me. My website's bloodysamoan.com. My Twitter's at Bloody Samoan. My Instagram's at Bloody Samoan Art. Uh, so yeah, just Google Bloody Samoan. You'll find articles and videos and artwork, all kinds of stuff about me. Um, and then you'll also get pinged by the racist internet police because you put in Bloody Samoan in the Google. So um, <laughs> so yeah, so that's my little gotcha. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, so that's where you can find me. Real easy, Bloody Samoan. And make sure you go and visit Mikael because he's still got one of the best T-shirts I've ever seen, which I keep meaning to get off him, which is BS Artist with the pencil underneath. It's fantastic. It's superb. Thanks, gents. Uh, it's a pleasure as always. Uh, we will talk soon. Take care and uh, we'll see you next time. Sweet. Thanks for having us. Thanks, bro. Thanks for listening. But please do Constable Brian and I a favour and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next Cappuccino podcast. Real people. Real stories.